Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a four-week teaching series during Advent called Waiting for the World to Change. Together, we're learning how we can wait differently because God is renewing all things. Thanks for listening. Well, could I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1? It's about uh, three-fourths of the way back in your Bibles and the Gospels. And if you're using one of the black Bibles that's hopefully in a seat rack nearby you, it's on page 831. We're going to look at verses 46 and following. It's sometimes called Mary's Song or the Magnificat in Latin, and we're going to look at that today. We're in a series called Waiting for the World to Change. It's about Advent, where we're living between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And today, I want to talk to you about joy. You glad? Sometimes that subject, you know, in December can hit people different ways. And here's the question I want to wrestle with this morning as we think about this, because I don't know what your starting point is with joy. I don't know what picture comes to your mind. I don't know what you've experienced with other people and what ideas you have about joy. But here's the question I want to think about with you if you're following along in the notes. Why do some have a deep, undeniable joy and others do not? Why do some people have a deep, undeniable joy and other people do not in this world? What is the difference? Like, where does that come from? One of the people that's helped me over the years understand more about joy is my dad. And my dad did not come from a family that was marked by joy. Uh, They actually a lot of times saw the harder part of life or the gloomier side of life. And so I knew it wasn't natural for my dad to be full of joy. But I was asking the other night, you know, where did all that get started? Like, how did, how did you begin to see a difference? And he said, well, he said, I was, when I would read the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, I noticed that when I'd come to the word joy, as I thought about my life, I thought about the fact that my joy tank, my joy meter, my joy level was one of the lower ones there. Have you ever read the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5? I happen to put it in the first gray box in case you haven't. And I list seven of the nine, but I'll finish it out uh, after we read it together. Let's read it from the Living Bible paraphrase together, full voice. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that begin to happen in the life of a believer once the Holy Spirit comes to live in our lives when we've invited Jesus in. And so my dad would say, you know, I just noticed that joy was one of those little things, and he began to just study more about joy and began to ask the Lord to teach him more about joy. And I wonder if that's not something that would be helpful to you today. Maybe if you were to look at the different tanks in your life, how high would the joy be? Would it be low? Would it be high? Would it fluctuate a lot? What what are you learning about your own life? And as we think about that, one of the things that hit me uh, while I was gone uh, a week ago, I I was walking and listening to a book about the Chinese church, the house churches in China. And I, 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 I realized that one of the things that the Chinese government could not understand was the fact that even though they were persecuting and causing so many of the Christians to suffer, the unmistakable thing that could not be missed was they still had joy. And it was a mystery to them. And I've thought, not only did the early Christians have joy, but every true believer, when they walk with the Lord and grow in him, 
joy will go up. Joy will grow. And so this is part of learning how to become more and more mature as we follow Jesus. Christian maturity will always bring about joy. But I don't know about you, but I I need a lot of help. I need a lot of wisdom from the word of God. So the Bible talks about that today. And Mary's going to teach us some about joy. And so does the Christmas story. So why do we need this message? Well, one reason we need this message is not only because our joy tanks may fluctuate or may be low, but also because sometimes in the United States, we equate joy with more. We believe that if I can just get that, if I can just get this, if I can just make this happen, if I can just get my way, then I'll be full of joy. But many of you have come back from even short-term mission trips in Juarez, Mexico, or other places and said, they had more joy, even though they had less. They had more joy than we do. What is that about? So one reason we need this message is because we may be fooled into thinking that joy is based on our circumstances or everything going our way, when in fact, joy doesn't have anything to do with that. Now, I want to say one more thing. The world can experience joy, too. I don't mean to act like the Christians have a corner on experiencing joy. But what I want to say is that the joy that the Spirit of God gives is completely different quality of joy. Long after the normal joy goes away, his joy continues. And I want to talk about that with you today, and I want to learn with you what it might look like. And this message, friends, this message has been a big help to me this week just preparing So I want to pray for you that God will teach you some things that will mean a lot to you as well. So would you pray with me? Now, Lord, would you teach us about joy this morning? I pray that our church family might become known for having your joy. No matter what we face, no matter what happens, whether things go our way or not, we pray that this Christmas we could learn some of the things you've taught your people in the past. And I thank you, Lord, that you are a joyful God and want to make us joyful in you. In your name we pray, amen. So as we think about the joy of that first Christmas, would you uh, just, I want to just walk through it real quickly and then I want to talk to you about how we can practice joy in our life. So first of all, if you've never read the Christmas story, a Christmas account, you don't know where it's at in the Bible, that's okay. Here's what I'll tell you. It's really only four chapters in the Bible. It's the first two chapters of Matthew's gospel. It's the first two chapters of Luke's gospel. So what I asked you to turn to today was the first chapter of Luke's gospel. But again, if you ever want to read more. Now, some of you actually read the Christmas story when you, before you open gifts on Christmas, and that's found in Luke chapter 2. Many people read it there. But again, you can find more details if you look at Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. Okay? So here we go. Luke chapter 1, you'll notice in verse 44, before Jesus even is born, his cousin, John the Baptist, which we learned about last week, was in the womb of Elizabeth. And so Elizabeth and Mary get together because when Mary finds out that she's pregnant, she doesn't want to hang around and go through all the misunderstanding that that's caused. So she heads off to be with Elizabeth. And when she arrives and greets Elizabeth, Elizabeth says to her, at the sound of your greeting, the baby in my womb, the son in my womb, leapt for joy. So if you're following along, we notice that even in the womb, John the Baptist leaps for joy in Jesus' presence. That's part of the joy of that first Christmas. Along with that, if you go to chapter 2, you'll notice that while the shepherds were out in the fields keeping their watch, you know, watching their flocks by night, 
an angel suddenly appears to them and freaks them out and says, I have an announcement. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a child has been born who is Christ the Lord. And he sends them on their way. And before he's done giving that announcement, a whole bunch of the heavenly hosts appear and sing glory to God in the highest, which is what glory in excelsis Deo means in Latin. And they sang that, and there was joy. Notice this. The third way is that long after Jesus had been born, and we often, uh, because of our nativity scenes, combine it, but we know that Jesus was a little older. He wasn't still a baby by the time the Magi arrived. It says they came to a house, they came to a child. But it's still part of the Christmas story. And they were led by a star from the east. And we read in Matthew chapter 2 that when the Magi saw the star over the house that had led them to Jesus, they were overjoyed. So if you're following along, the Magi are overjoyed when the star leads them to Jesus. And then this fourth example of the joy of that first Christmas is really what I want to focus on today. And that's how this teenage girl named Mary, if you're following along, rejoices in God her Savior at the news of Jesus. Mary rejoices in God her Savior. And by the way, notice Mary needs a Savior too. She rejoices and God, her Savior, at the news of Jesus. Now, would you read verses 46 and follow me? Again, this is sometimes called the Magnificat because she says, my soul magnifies or glorifies the Lord. That's Latin. And so here it is. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, I did told you, I didn't tell you I was going to wait to read the gray box together, but here's why. Because the New International says, my soul glorifies the Lord. The English Standard Version says, my soul magnifies the Lord. By the way, to magnify something means to declare the greatness of. But notice they both say the same thing. So now let's read it together. Sorry if I threw some of you off. Let's read it together. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now let me go on. Verse 48. Why? For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Did you notice at least six or seven times? He has done this. He has done this. He has done this. He has done this. And she magnifies him and she rejoices in God, her savior. And I'm just struck by the fact that already as a teenager, she knew how important this was to a life with God. And so she practices that. Now, some of us go, well, of course, she just got good news. She is going to be pregnant with a baby. Well, let me just be honest with you. It was in some ways exciting news for her, but it was also signing her up for 401 classes in life. You know what happened, right? I wrote some of these things down this week. I put it on a piece of paper. Jesus' arrival, her pregnancy, 
would mean and include sacrifice, suffering, heartache, loss, insult, misunderstanding, relocating or being on the run in the next couple years two or three times in countries she didn't know anything about. Her soul would be pierced with pain eventually. She would be told in the temple that her soul would be pierced and she would stand beneath the cross of Jesus while he was being spat on, mistreated, humiliated, and crucified. And all of that came with accepting this assignment. And yet here she sees at this moment the opportunity to rejoice in the Lord. Now, this was an interesting kind of joy that she's talking about. And so I thought to myself, it might help if I just show you a few other verses about joy. And I won't spend a lot of time with this, but would you turn your notes over to the back of the Bible? Now, I just, again, I just put some that stood out to me this week. Let me say this. One of my goals as a pastor here, and I know the other pastors feel the same, is we want you to grow up in your salvation. God wants me and you to grow up in our salvation. One of the ways we do that is by feeding ourselves with the word of God. So long after Sunday's over, do you realize that there are resources out there that you can take advantage of? So there's BibleGateway.com, YouVersion Bible app. There's different ways, but you can actually go to the little magnifying glass and search thing, and you can actually look up keywords. So you could look up joy in the Bible, just like I did here. Or you could look up the word rejoice that we're going to look at in just a little bit. And you can actually see, well, how are they used in other ways? If you want the joy meter, if you want the joy level, the joy tank in your life to grow up, you know, part of it, you're going to have to educate yourself in the word of God, what he says about that. I am too. But here's just some verses. Let me just read through them quickly. Nehemiah 10.8, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Psalm 1611, in your presence, there is fullness of joy, David said. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 43, 4, then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you, O God, my God. Psalm 92, 4, for you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. John 15, 11, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. John 16, another verse of Jesus, the night before he's crucified, no less. So you have sorrow now because I'm going away, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. 2 Corinthians 8, we looked at this a few weeks ago when we were talking about generosity. In the midst of a very severe trial, the Macedonian believers, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 1 Thessalonians 1.6, you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1.8, the great fisherman writes this late in his life. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Friends, there is joy that already exists, but whether or not we tap into it, whether or not we experience it, Depends on a couple things. One, as Steve helped us see last week, one of the ways we must prepare for Jesus' return is we must repent and acknowledge that we have gone our own way. We must bow our knee to Jesus, his reign and rule. We must invite him to come in and live in our lives. And if we will, by his grace, he will come in and he will bring his own Holy Spirit to live inside of us and dwell in us so that the same Holy Spirit that lived in him now can live in us. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, one of the things he brings is his joy. 
And you and I cannot know this joy if we have not been born again. And I say that really humbly because I know that in every church service we have, there are those that believe they're born again, but they're not. There's no fruit. There's no change. There's no change in our lives. And if that's the case, and you know it, if the Holy Spirit's graciously showing you that you've never been born again, you know this could be the day. This could be the best Christmas for you ever because the Lord can come and live in your life. It's not just for me. It's not just for somebody else. It's for you too. And so I just want to make sure you know that the good news of Christmas is that Jesus wants to live in you as much as he wants to live in any of us. But is he? Because if he is, then you can know the possibility of just joy flowing through you, flowing in your life. But the other thing is that if you're following along in the front of the notes now, here's the other part of it, is understanding that joy is God's work in us and something we do with him. Joy is both God's work in us and something we do with him. People say, well, how come, how come like he doesn't just drop joy on me? Well, sometimes that happens, but most of the time he provides the joy as a gift, but that means that you and I have to also, just like the Israelites had to go out and pick up manna each day after the Lord provided it, we have to also participate. He gives us something to do, and it's called rejoicing. And that's what Mary did. Mary rejoiced. And as she rejoiced in the Lord and who he is and what he's done, she, her joy continued to flow in and through her life. And other people around her experienced it too. And so as we think about that, what does it mean to rejoice? Now, I want to make sure that before I talk about this part, that I, I, I acknowledge something. Some of you here are here and you're grieving, and rightly so. A tragedy's happened, a searing loss has happened in your life, and now you hear a pastor up front going, hey, it's time to rejoice. I want to always be careful about that. And here's something I've tried to keep in mind as a pastor over the years, because I've been invited into situations that have taken my breath away. I've been invited to situations where I don't know how some of you bear up under the things that you sometimes are called to endure. And when I've been put in those situations, I've come back to this verse again and again and again. And here it is. It's Romans 12, 15. Would you read it with me? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. There needs to be a certain sensitivity. It means that we need to understand that rejoicing is not some plastic thing we all just put on fake faces and do and stuff like that. And it's also not doing it insensitively around other people that might be going through searing pain. But even in our searing pain, Christian maturity will ultimately lead back to rejoicing. Joy comes in the morning after a night of grieving, the Bible says. And so I want to just mention that. Now let me also make it really personal. I told you about my dad learning about joy. Well, my dad went through a couple year period because he was a pastor in Chicago, then Iowa, then Danville, then Elgin, then finally Springfield. In that period of leaving Iowa to Danville, I was a kid about eight years old. And I remember that the first year in Danville, I hated it. I wasn't happy at all. And I remember that also my brother and sister and mom and I watched my dad and my dad was down. I mean, down, 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 down. And I mean, every day down. So much that I can still picture our family sitting in the living room there in Danville in the living room, sitting around dad because he had his head in his hands and he was just so discouraged. And I'd never seen my dad like that before. And I remember thinking I was scared. 
He thought he'd made a mistake by leaving Iowa. He thought he'd misheard God. And so when he came to Danville that first year was rugged, not just for me and the rest of our family, but for him. And because he was constantly living in that sense, there was little joy. And the joy tank was low, like I already told you. Somewhere in there, God began to teach him about the power of rejoicing. And so later on then, when I was a teenager, my dad had this habit of coming into my brother and I's bedroom and lifting up the blinds long before we thought it was appropriate to do so. And he would say just quiet words like this. It was never fake, but he goes, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And I remember thinking, I'm happy for you. <laughs> but I'm not there yet. And if you're listening to me talk today, and that's how you feel, I want to be sensitive to you. And I want to tell you that if you're not there yet, the Lord can help you get there. The Lord loves you. And the Lord wants you to know his joy. And you can, this December, if you'll trust him. And so as we think about this, let me just share with you the two verses that he eventually said were key to bringing him out of that dark time. And they're listed in that third gray box. Would you mind reading that with me out loud? This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And then Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. That last verse was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. It's a fascinating thing. God had shown people interesting things about rejoicing in the most unlikely places, and he can do the same for us. So let me just talk to you about rejoicing because I don't know what ideas come to your mind. Out to the right of this phrase, how do we learn to rejoice? I just wrote this simple definition in my notes. It means to be glad. It means to delight in something or to celebrate something. To be glad, to delight in something or to celebrate something. Now, I will tell you that when I was looking this up, some more modern uh, di dictionaries didn't say to be glad. They said to feel glad. And this is where I think the sticking point is. We are more than we've probably ever been a feeling culture. We have been taught to follow our feelings, to monitor our feelings, to declare our feelings. And again, God's given us feelings. They can be a very great gift. But they can also be inaccurate. They can also be fooled. And so sometimes we just got to make sure we're paying attention to the fact that feelings aren't always accurate. Sometimes they need to be validated, absolutely, but there's other times we need to not trust them as much as we trust the Word of God. And so what happens is, is that if I don't feel joy, then I go, well, there's no use. And the truth is, you and I can know joy even when we don't feel joy. And so, but let me be clear. I want to clarify that by saying this. This week, more than anything, here's what helped me think about rejoicing. To rejoice means to be thankful. To rejoice has everything. It's linked completely with a spirit of thankfulness. If you and I are not thankful, we will not be able to rejoice. But if we are thankful to the Lord, it will begin to break us loose and enable us. And it's just helped me to understand that there is still always a lot to be thankful for, even in the darkest days. And there are times that you and I can still rejoice. What's the opposite of, of rejoicing? It's grumbling, complaining, 
and having a pity party. And you and I can easily fall into any of those. And while those things may last for a little bit, they're never that profitable in the long run. They end up getting us farther away from joy. So how do we think about this? Well, first, let me clarify what I'm saying. First, rejoicing, if you're following along, doesn't ignore or deny hard realities of life. Rejoicing doesn't ignore or deny hard realities of life. Sometimes I've noticed that there are, there's this sense that if you're a Christian, you've got to walk around and go, well, praise the Lord. You know, I've seen people literally at the caskets going, with their loved ones going, well, praise the Lord. And you can just go, you know, you don't have to do that if you don't want to. You can talk about the fact this is really sad. You do not have to be a fake. You do not have to act like this isn't happening. That's a way to try to cope, but it's not very good in the long run. So let me just show you a couple of verses. The Apostle Paul, who writes a lot about rejoicing, talks about the fact for him to follow God was not easy street at all. And 2 Corinthians 6, which I've listed out to the right, I read these verses years ago. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored, even though we are well-known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. These paradoxes are so true. And then, here's what I noticed in, this, in the New Living, excuse me, New International Version in 2 Corinthians 6.10. Look at this first line. It's a mystery to me. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Isn't that fascinating? We know what it's like to feel sorrowful, but even in our sorrow, we've learned that we can rejoice. Poor, yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. So I hope no one hears me say that if you rejoice, you have to act like everything's fine. It isn't usually when God is growing us up. Second thing is that rejoicing, um, and before I talk to you about the second thing I've listed in the notes, let me talk about three pictures that have been helpful to me. So here's the first one, and that is a thermometer or a thermostat. And this is obviously an older one. Here's a more updated digital one. But do you know the difference between a thermometer and a, and a thermostat? Again, maybe you've thought about this before, but it's helped me to think about this again this week. Here's the, here's the difference. A thermometer records the temperature but a thermostat changes the temperature and the environment around it. In other words, the thermostat sets the temperature. The thermostat just registers the temperature. Here's what I would say about my life before I started growing in Christ. I was a thermometer. Just watch me. It was up and down like this. And so whatever was happening in my life, if good things were going on, my thermometer was up. Bad things were happening, my thermometer was down. And again, what happens is, is that what... God's teaching us is that if you and I learn how to practice rejoicing, we become a thermostat in the environments we go into rather than a thermometer. That's been helpful to me. Second picture, if you're following along in the notes, is this, is that rejoicing is a muscle we must exercise. Rejoicing is a muscle we must exercise. Again, the whole goal of us gathering together every Sunday and meeting in life groups and reading our, the word of God each day and learning how to walk with God is maturity. 
That means that God is going to call us to grow up in our faith. That means that if we decide to stay immature Christians, we will never learn how to rejoice because rejoicing is hard. Sometimes it's not easy. It doesn't automatically happen. Rejoicing takes practice. Again, when I was talking with my parents the other night, they said this, and I'll just say it to you, to rejoice is a choice. Do you mind saying that with me? To rejoice is a choice, and it's a choice I can't make for you. You can't make it for me. If you sit here today and say, I'm not going to rejoice, then you're not going to rejoice. But if you say, by God's grace, with the help of his Holy Spirit, God, teach me how to step into this. Help me mature in my faith. Help me not to just be a thermometer that's thrown about by all the different changing conditions and temperature. Show me how to live in this world more purposefully and learn how to dig into what you're doing. Help me use that muscle, that tool you've given me to find the joy that you've already provided, but to tap into it. And then notice this. When I say this, I, I, I want to again show that this is not easy street. So Acts 16.25 is what I list out to the right. Some of you may have read this before, but in Acts 16, the Apostle Paul and his friend Silas come to this Roman colony in Europe called um, Philippi. It's where we get the letter of the Philippians later. But what happens is, as they get into the town there, they have some tremendous response. A lady named Lydia, who was a dealer in purple cloth, her, the Bible says the Lord opened her heart to believe in the Lord, and she invited them to have the church in her home. And again, there was just tremendous doors that began to open, but there were also some doors of opposition, or also some opposition to the point that when Paul and Silas cast out a demon of a fortune-telling girl, the crowd turned on them. And before the day was over, they were beaten with rods. Even though they're Roman citizens, the leaders of that community didn't know them and didn't check out to see if they were Roman citizens, so they got a fair trial. They were beaten with rods. Then they were thrown into the jail. They were put in stocks, and they're in the lower cellar there. It's dark. It's dank. It's a bad day. Now look at what happens in Acts 16.25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, I've often thought about this. As soon as they got locked into their stocks, did they go, time to rejoice? Not sure. But I know about midnight, they realized they had a choice. They realized this was a muscle they could exercise, even though their bones were bruised and hurting. And the prisoners could tell there was something about them that even though they'd been knocked down, they were not knocked out. And they chose to begin, they just began to look heavenward. And they began to give thanks and they began to praise and magnify the Lord. And as they did, you know what happened next? Doesn't always happen this way. An earthquake happened. And the prison doors flew open. And before the night was over, they had baptized the jailer and his family who had come to believe in a God who could produce joy in people that had been beaten, falsely accused. God can do things when we begin to rejoice that we may not be able to see when we begin rejoicing, but doors can open. It's a muscle we must exercise. The third thing I hope you'll see is that rejoicing is like priming the pump. We draw up the joy he gives. Rejoicing is like priming the pump. We draw up the joy he gives. So I told you this, that one of the things my dad, he began to understand that it was his responsibility, that joy is like a river. Friends, beneath the surface, 
It's not always visible. God's joy is not always palpable. It's not always obvious, but it's still there. I've often thought of it like a river running underneath the ground and that a well, a well goes down and taps into that. And as that river is drawn up, now it can begin to flow in and through someone. And so my dad would say, learning how to rejoice means to draw up joy. Trish and I have talked about this many times. What does it look like this day for me to draw up joy in the Lord? And so I thought to myself, maybe a picture would help you. Some of you have told me you're more visual. So I found this on YouTube. Watch this because maybe you've never heard what priming the pump is. Pump, a working pump that doesn't work. It doesn't work because the seal between the piston and the cylinder is not airtight and the check valve is not airtight. So it doesn't suck the water up until I make that airtight. I'm going to pour water down in the little funnel-shaped top of the pump to allow it to prime, uh, to make the seal. And once the pump is primed, it works fine. So I come back to this idea. Do you notice that you and I may think that rejoicing is just doing this all day long? Okay, God, I rejoice, I rejoice. Okay, and again, I've watched, I've tried this. It's terrible. It's what you rejoice in. As you prime the pump, it's the combination of the water of the word of God. And as you and I begin to focus on what God has revealed to us, what God has done for us and that kind of thing, as we begin to focus on that, all of a sudden, the joy of the Lord begins to grow richer in us. It begins to flow in and through us to other people. And that kind of joy can happen. And so it's both God who works in us, but also he wants us to work out our salvation humbly with him. And so it's doing both and saying, okay, God, I know your part is to provide the joy. My part is to draw it up. Show me how to do it with you and your word and your spirit. So those are just some things that have been helpful to me. Notice this, as we think about uh, what rejoicing the Lord is, I already talked to you about how Mary rejoices, if you're following along. Rejoicing in the Lord recalls how rich we are. Rejoicing in the Lord recalls how rich we are. Now again, if you and I, part of our problem is that we're not feeling thankful or we're feeling poor in life or we're feeling ripped off or we're feeling sorry for ourselves, and sometimes we all do, I do too, then what's the answer? It's coming back to what's really still true. What has the Lord done through his cross and through his resurrection, through his Holy Spirit, through his plans? And so again, let me just read this story to you. I found this helpful. Uh, Ray Steadman told years ago about an old Navajo Native American Indian who became rich when oil was found on his property. He took all the money and put it in a bank. His banker became familiar with the habits of this old gentleman. So every so often, the Native American Indian would show up at the bank and say to the banker, grass all gone, sheep all sick, water holes all dry. Without a word, the banker would take the old Native American Indian into the vault, show him several bags of silver dollars and say, all this is yours. The old man would spend about an hour stacking up the dollars and counting them. Then he returned to the bags, their places, come out of the vault and say, grass all green, sheep all well, water holes all full. And Ray Steadman goes on and says, 
This is what the Apostle Paul learned about rejoicing, is that in Christ, we have riches greater than silver. And that if we'll recount those, it'll change us. And that's why I list out to the right Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, which even though that's 12 verses in our New Testament, that's one verse in the Greek, original Greek. Paul gets going and he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he goes off. He redeemed us. He saved us. He adopted us. And he goes on and on. As he begins to do that, you can tell that even though he's writing it from prison, it is filling him up with the truth and reality of what's really still true. And I'll just tell you my own experiences that there's been a number of times where I've gone into dark places myself. And we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers of this dark, evil world, friends. It's not an easy way to live the Christian life. And sometimes with the extra responsibility upon me, I can easily fall back into that. But here's what I've noticed. Years ago, when I was in college, I went into a six-week period of funk that I could not shake. Even though I'd been gloriously saved, there was no conscious sense of the presence of God, and it went on for day after day after day, and I was so disoriented. And about that time, the Spirit of God whispered to me that it was time to learn how to tap into what was still true, the joy that could be known, even though I may not feel it at first. And so I began to memorize certain scripture passages and place them on my mirror when I get ready in the morning and I would try and learn the first verse of many hymns so that I would begin filling myself with what was still true. I was trying to prime the pump. One of those passages in those days that I held on to dearly was Lamentations 3. I think I've told you this before, but I'll say it again. Jeremiah, when he realizes that Israel is going to be absolutely destroyed, it's part of his prophecy, is grieving that day coming. And he says this, my soul is filled with bitterness and gall. All my splendor is gone. But this I call to mind. Do you see him practicing? And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And I remember saying that over and over and over again. And there were some days that I felt it and other days I didn't. But there came a day when I knew that that was true, that was true, that was true, no matter what was staring me in the face. And friends, I just want you to know that rejoicing is recalling how rich we are in God. Again, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have this yet, but you can the other thing is, is that rejoicing focuses on what the Lord has done, is doing, and will do. Rejoicing focuses on what the Lord has done, is doing, and will do, just like Mary did that. Look at what Tim Keller says about this joy that God provides. There is a joy available that the deepest grief cannot put out. No circumstance or person can take away the joy God gives. The question is, am I stepping into it? Am I learning to grow into it? So here's the last thing if in this section, if you're looking. Rejoicing affirms, for this I have you, Jesus. Rejoicing affirms yet again, for this I have you, Jesus. One of my favorite stories that I've learned over the years, I read years ago about a pastor who was speaking to a group of people, and he had no idea how much this would affect one of them. But he said, do you realize that once you have Jesus that no matter what comes your way, the rest of your time here on earth 
that every time you step into a situation that's unknown, confusing, or difficult, that you now can say, for this, I have Jesus. He shared that and said it several times, and while that was going on, this was many years ago, a telegram arrived for the person playing the piano. And um, she read it, and immediately her heart sank. It just basically said, your mother has taken very ill. Please get home at once. So she asked if she said, um, may I say a word? I need to leave, but can I say a word before I leave? She said, I just received this telegram. It says my mother's very ill, and I need to get home at once. Most of you don't know, I live a couple countries away. This was many years ago, so that meant there would be several train rides and other things to get there, have to arrange all that. So she said this. She said, but, Pastor, what you just said is really helpful to me. I don't know how I'm going to get it all arranged for the different train tickets. I've not done a lot of that before, but I know for this I have Jesus. I'm a single woman. I don't know about traveling on a train during the night in different places and being in different cities. And so I'm a little scared about that. And as I think about that, I just want to remember, for this, I have Jesus. My mother is one of the dearest people in the world to me, and I can't imagine life without her. And when I get home, if she's passed away or if she passes away soon after, I'm not sure how that's going to go down. But for this, I have Jesus. When you're standing in a deep place, Jesus is deeper still. And for everything you face, you can personalize it and say, for this I have you, Jesus. Please help me. I'm so thankful I have you. I can't imagine going through this without you. Thank you that you can do this with me and I can do this with you. And so this is part of what it means to rejoice is that we still have something to be thankful for. And it's Jesus. He's our joy when everything else isn't joyful. And so as we think about this, let me just ask you as we close, what's the this I'm not rejoicing in the Lord with? What's the this I'm not yet rejoicing in the Lord with? I don't know, is it something at school for some of you that are students? Is it something at home? Is it something at work? Is it something in our church? Is it something that no one else knows about? Is it, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is where you're saying, I don't know how to rejoice. I'm not sure I could rejoice about that. I'm not there yet. Would you be willing in the next few moments just to put that before God and be honest with him to name it and just say, Lord, this is really a hard one for me. This is, if this is about Christian maturity, help me with this. And I'll just say that for me, some of you say, well, like, what's yours, Jeff? I have a hard time with January and February in the Midwest. I don't like shorter days, darker days. I don't like cold. I don't like all those things. I know I'm happy for some of you that do. But I'm just saying is, is that I've noticed in my history in the past, that's where I tend to go into a dark place sometimes. But over the last few years, the Lord showed me that I don't have to concede to that, that I have a choice to rejoice. And as I do, he'll show me how to navigate that differently, and he has, and he wants to do the same. So let's take a few moments to name what's the this today. Thanks for joining us today. 
If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.